This podcast is for the rebels, the misfits, the stargazers, the skinny dippers, those that want to fall in love and believe in magic, those that want to bet high, break free, and know their highest self. You are listening to the Aaron Evans Podcast. If you like what you hear, be sure to rate and subscribe to this podcast. You can follow me on Instagram at Aaron underscore Evans. Buckle up and thank you for your attention. I am with Shauna Lamb and her and I share an affinity for short shorts advanced yoga postures, comedy clubs, Maya Angelou. We love poetry and deep conversations. Shauna is a yoga teacher. She runs a yoga school out of Lethbridge, Agni School of Yoga. She is well-versed, well-educated, and her and I are going to talk today about alcohol, its consumption, and addictive patterns that we found in ourselves. Both Shauna and I are not completely sober. And the intention of this conversation is to get clear on how we drink, when we drink, and why we drink, to figure out if it suits us and if it's time to make some changes. Welcome to the show, Shauna. Thank you for having me. Thank you for the generous introduction. This is a conversation that I've been wanting to have for quite some time. And Shauna, the reason I wanted to have it with you is because you've danced with sobriety, you have a dark sense of humor, and and you always have some truth bombs to add. What's fascinating about alcohol and its consumption and the history of alcohol is that in Canada, the French traders began to exchange alcohol to indigenous people in exchange for fur. And the decision to do so was divided. There were those that supported the trade and those who denounced it as dishonest because of its devastating effects. There were chiefs and leaders that demanded they stop trading alcohol, yet commercial competition won over good intentions. And the impact of these dubious gifts were lax boundaries, overgiving, and addiction. And I can speak to alcohol through my limited scope, but what alcohol does is it keeps us in a closed society in which we lose agency and choice because we give our power over to a substance that negatively impacts our decision-making, changes the structure of our brain, leads to craving and addiction, and makes learning really challenging. But the other side is it lets us fit in, makes us feel comfortable and lighthearted. What is your stance on it? Mm. Um, Thank you for that context, that thoughtful context, because as I contemplated um, over the past week or so, once we decided to chat about this, I started looking into things a little bit and, and ended up asking myself questions I really hadn't before. I sometimes I like to look at what Silicon Valley is doing. I like to see like, what are these tech companies doing? What is their wellness programs look like for their staff? What are people doing to keep on top of like that cutting edge of uh, productivity, of innovation? Um, There's a show called Silicon Valley and there's this episode where 
the main guy or one of the head guys has a blood boy. And so he gets a blood transfusion every week from this like young fit athletic guy to help him stay young, to like replenish things. And I'm just like, oh my God, there, this is a thing. So I was looking into this a little bit and in Silicon Valley and some of the tech companies, they have like a really, really fine scotch bar or say some sort of alcohol bar. And the reason is, is that when you've got people going in and doing like deep programming and deep coding, there's a bit of an edge there when you insert alcohol and it boosts creativity. However, at a certain point, it doesn't. And so I've never worked for Silicon Valley. I've, I've never experienced that sort of role where I've used it for creativity. But when I consider that in my own experience, especially like in the couple of times in my life where I leaned pretty heavily into uh, the lifestyle, um, I ended up on the way farther other side of the slope where I was left with like emotional hangovers. Um, there certainly wasn't productivity. Uh, there were a lot of things lacking. So um, I thought that was just a really, really interesting piece where, okay, so they found this. They've also found like in there's with alcohol, like there's socialization and there's, you know, laughter and there's endorphins in that part. But if we look at what's, um, you know, say the last two years and a large part of it is isolation, that social aspect of it. Um, I mean, there might be laughter if you're drinking by your, yourself. I know in my case, sometimes there was, I thought it was hilarious. But um, those things are missing there. Hmm. And it speaks to moderation. Can you drink a scotch, enjoy the notes on the nose and the tongue without teetering over into another scotch and another scotch and another scotch till you can't see straight? For me, what started out as a glass of wine at the end of the day turned into half a bottle of wine at the end of the day. I would go to bed, pass out, wake up the next morning feeling lethargic, tired, a little irritated, and I would repeat that cycle until I realized that that wasn't how I wanted to live. Yeah. Um, when I first started in my career with working with charities, I remember Googling. Actually, I don't think Google was invented yet. Like This would have been pre-Google. Maybe there was Ask Jeeves. But I remember Googling, like, how do I be normal in a board meeting? Like, I was really curious. Like, how do I be normal? And thinking of like, I have one child and he was born in 2005. So there truly was no Google. There wasn't a whole lot of information out there to compare myself to. Uh, like, don't get me wrong. There's, there's never a shortage. It's everywhere. It's in every book. It's, you know, when we walk down the street, but it certainly wasn't the rhetoric and the culture that we're immersed in nowadays where it's like, you know, mommy needs her happy juice. And I drink because of the kids and that sort of thing. And so um, with, uh, with my experience, it's actually quite similar to yours where when, when my son was, you know, you get over that hump of them being absolutely like helpless and a total liability. They're just like this gorgeous little blob. They can't move. And then it's almost like some time opens up and it's like, well, what do I do with this time? Well, what would be normal? I should probably get into wine or it was just super stressful. I remember being really scared of like, who gave me control of this child? Like I'm on my 17th bank card this year. Like how am I the responsible one? It was overwhelming. It was scary as shit. Mm -hmm. And when I, I recall once there was a little bit of time in the day, there was a pull to think like, well, this is what adults do. This is, 
this is what moms do. Like I cope with the stress and I cope with having a family by having a bottle of wine. Yeah. And, and I loved that you used the word normal. It is totally unusual if someone declines a drink. You go out to a restaurant and everybody has a drink in their hand and they often have their phone in the other hand. And <laughs> if I'm not drinking, oftentimes people will, will be like, oh, you're not fun. Let us know when you're fun again. It's more unusual to be a non-drinker. People say, have one, loosen up, let your hair down, let's connect. But the thing about drinking is that we lose momentum. And it's so subtle, you almost wouldn't know how it affects your next day. But in a lot of self-development work, they talk about that 1% and how if we can be 1% more clear, 1% more focused, the long-lasting effects it'll have over the trajectory of our next few years. Yeah, that 1% better that you spoke about, I've heard the phrase for it, the residual of aggregate gains or aggregate gains, um, where it's just like aim for 1%, 1%, 1%. I don't know if you ever had this when it came to, you know, those phases where the, the lean on alcohol was heavier, but I wouldn't even be like halfway done my drink and I would be wondering like, well, when's it normal to have the next? And in my head, I'd be scoping inventory of that bottle of wine or, you know, like, I, I would kind of have my eyes on the air quote next prize, the next prize being my second glass. It wasn't just like, oh, the one is good. You know, um, it's just, I was always a little bit in the future. Oh my God. And, and what a beautiful articulation of what the yogis call suffering. And, <laughs> and, and it looks like enjoyment. It looks like pleasure. It looks like a one night stand. It looks like feeling sexy for the night. But what it is, is anticipating a feeling that will be in that next cocktail, that next glass of wine. There was a part of it where like it, things would start to get foggy. And so, I mean, everybody, I, I don't mean to like paint a broad brush. I was going to say like, I, I can be in my head sometime, but also like everybody can, we all have heads, we all have minds and brains. Um, and so, you know, there's that lack of inhibition that comes with the bit of drinking and, um, there's also that lack of like being so controlled of driving the bus where sometimes that feels like a big relief and a big reprieve, like, Oh, for goodness sakes, as funny as I think I am for once, I don't have to be like a hundred percent in it. However, I can't guarantee what the, what the environment is going to be like the next drink, the next drink. Yeah. I, I don't know, um, like which, which not which Shauna, but I, I don't know what lies ahead. On the one hand, I want to be in it. You know, this one is making me forget my worries. And this one is making me relaxed. And this one is making me a little bit more uh, extroverted and, and cheery or whatever it is. Um, and it's almost like the next one promises to be even better. Oh, well put. The lights are on, but nobody's home. And people talk about this blackout where they don't know what happened after they were at the restaurant, but now they wake up in the morning and they're in their own bed or someone else's bed. And they're like, how did I get here? And, and that to me is, is very frightening. That to me is really reckless that I would give over my consciousness to a spirit. The term for alcohol spirit was derived or has been interpreted as 
When we drink, we let our guard down. Therefore, evil spirits or our lesser desires can drive us. Yeah, I've, I've heard that analogy. And one of the things that comes to mind is, um, maybe this resonates with you, but that waking up the next day where things are foggy, whether it was a blackout, I've also heard the term brownout, where you can like put together 8% of it, but not, not 100, like there's a little glimmer. But I would have the tendency to feel shameful about something, but not really actually knowing. I, I, I just assumed I did something awful and terrible. Oh, I know. And I've no heard... evidence. I just thought it. And you have this feeling in your gut that something didn't go as, exactly as planned. I've heard people call it anxiety, where they wake up the next day and have a perpetual feeling of anxiety of what happened and what's about to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've heard it called the booze blues. <laughs> um, you spoke to how, um, like, now you're at a point where you will, like, imbibe occasionally. And, and I'm definitely at that point now, and I can't say how many times a year it is, but we'll say it's three. So if it's, like, really special company or, like, a celebration... But I certainly had, I think it was three, three or four years where I was like staunchly sober. This would have been, we'll say 2015. And I definitely went through like a total pendulum swing, like a rebound where there was a righteousness to it, where I don't know why um, I would have like put this on it. But, you know, I just, I didn't want to be around alcohol. I didn't want to be around anybody drinking it. I just... Um, I was so adverse to it that all of a sudden I had this flip where, you know, it just, it was the other side of the coin, but I was being a complete dick about it. Oh, and that's exactly what Carolyn May says when somebody is evolving and changing, there's this natural moment where they become a narcissist and all they can think about is their own beliefs and the way they live their life and they can't stop talking about it. They feel righteous and superior, but that phase does stop when they start to embody the new evolution of whatever change they've made in their lives. Did your social circle change when you stopped drinking? It vanished, but um, that was that was by choice. Like I just I stopped answering the phone and the text, and I poured myself uh, into my yoga practice. When I decided to take a break from it, it was slowly like crept up on me. At the time, my son was maybe, we'll say six or so. And again, I speak of that window where it's like, I feel like for the first five or six years of his life, I just lived with my head down, trying not to have this child hurt themselves. I was, I was just in hindsight, super fearful. Like I was fearful of him getting hurt. I was fearful of not being in control. Like it just, you know, that, that was a lot of my life. There's a lot of anxiety, like the, um, the, pr the pressure, the responsibility, like the vulnerability of being a mother, I was not prepared for. I was so young. I was like 25. So when I went through uh, like that, you know, kind of crux of the sobriety, it was for a very good reason. Like it was just slowly over time, I noticed that I wasn't really uh, energetic when this little man would wake up and want to play. Or I would notice that I was, you know, if you've ever had a child that needs like three stories and like a prolonged 45 minute bedtime, if I've got my eye on the wine prize, 
I'm not present. In fact, I'm a little bit, um, I don't want to say annoyed. I, I'm, I'm so lucky. Like he's almost 17 years old. And so I, I get to have this perspective now where like, uh, we're in the last six weeks of me dropping him off at school. He'll have a car in six weeks. And so there's this like very clear, I like, I get to see like, who this thing that's been a total pain in my ass, not this thing as a child, but this act of trying to get to work and get to daycare and get to school all by some agreed upon 8.30 a.m., that stress in my life is about to be done. And for all of the days I was cursing it, now I'm like, ooh, like there's a there's a grief there. Oh. Um, and so with the chipping away at the deciding to give up the booze, a lot of it came from like, I just, I'd like to be more present with him. I'd like to feel more energetic. I'd like to feel healthy. And, and so it started off that way, but then there definitely was like a, a prolonged period of like sober righteousness. Um, and then eventually I think I normalized. And with our practices of putting our legs behind our head and trying to catch our ankles <laughs> in a backbend, we're, we're kind of going for that same thing of, of pinning down that generous present moment. And I feel exactly the same. I would, I would be so excited for my son to go to bed so that I could get a little tipsy. And the reason that doesn't work anymore is my capacity, I need my full attention. I need my full attention for my yoga practice, for my students, for my clients, for my writing, and it makes me feel more alive. I also knew that the cost of me doing what I was doing was keeping me in a slumber. But I have to say the one thing I kind of like about being hanged over, <laughs> hungover, is I'm not so uptight. It's like I'm a little bit funnier, I'm a little more laid back. I. I like being around myself better when I'm a little hungover. So the giggles. Yeah. It's almost like you're a little stoned. <laughs> Absolutely. And and also you can reminisce about the funny night that you had, the hilarious things that were said. Cause it is so fun to celebrate in that way. How do we know when we've gone too far with it? To me, it's when I started um Oh, is the word shame? I just, I started feeling bad about things. And, and that's how I tend to know if like something needs to change, whether it's the popcorn with butter before bed or whether it was the drinking, whatever it is, if it's taking up a lot of time and energy of me trying to justify it or feel bad about it, I'm not saying I'll change it right away. Um, the Greeks call it a kratia, like we know of the better behavior we should be doing, but we don't do it anyway. Um, to me, that's where I feel it. It's, it's um, a pain in my ass. It hurts my heart. It's taking up time. It's taking attention. Yeah. Um, when, when I was looking at like the change to stop drinking, I just, I remember one of the repeating thoughts was like, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way. And it, it, the answer didn't come to me right away. One of the things that did kind of get the momentum going is I started training for 100K. And I'd never trained anything like that before. And it was just, um, it was for a fundraiser for an organization that I worked with. But what it did is it got me outside every day. It got me on a 16-week program of like, okay, it's 3K three times a week. 
I was doing it as part of work, but I was also doing it because I wanted to finish with Achilles Achilles tendons still intact. So it was fairly self-serving. Um, in hindsight, the and it was a walk; it was not a run. But that was like one of the motivators that kind of got me back in touch with like, well, what did I like to do as a child? I loved my bike. So then from there, I trained for, you know, a sprint triathlon. And then from there, I found yoga. So there was probably like three years of change, like slowly happening before it actually happened. A couple times you've mentioned this directing of energy. And it's like you have we all have a certain amount of energy and we get to choose where we place it, but you knew that that energy needed a focus. So you channeled it toward, uh, in this case, like getting ready for that race. And I think that one of my favorite shamans, he says, when you have to fight for your own life, when you're in such a pickle that you need to fight for your own life, that's when you truly start to live. And until then, you can put the blindfolds on, you can press snooze, you can medicate and distract until enough becomes enough. And Shauna, I've watched you over the course of the last three years completely bloom into such an incredible teacher, speaker, friend, mother. Uh, You're so respected because you don't do what you did when you became a non-drinker. Like, it's not like you're like, I'm a, how do you know every, how do you know someone's a vegan? Well, they'll tell you. It's, it's not in what you say, but it's in how you act. And that it's not because you're better, but this is a better way. Oh, wow. Well, thank you. Um, yeah. And I mean, we're all, this will sound cliche, but we're all on our own journeys. Like even when I was training for that 100K, I didn't mean for any of this to happen. It's almost like the graces threw me a bone and they're like, all right, let's just, we need to sort this one out. I don't know if this is common with you, but like now when there's an occasion and it's like, I'm going to have some drinks, you know, this is really a a special time. You know, I really want to connect with this person. I count it as a two day write off because I know the next day I'm not practicing. I'm probably not practicing because I feel impaired still. Like I just, I don't feel like myself. I'm not in my head. If I were to practice, I'm air quoting, um, it would be um, it would be like a very like casual. I actually I probably wouldn't. I wouldn't do headstands. So I don't like the way that my freedoms come off the table with it. So a few times a year, absolutely, let's do it. But I don't have that default mode to pop into like Friday night wine um, because I feel like I have less choice when I'm when I'm rolling that way. Less choice. Less choice in that I will likely go toward the food that doesn't serve me, but will take away the ache in my tummy. I'll likely be chronically texting people to check in and make sure I didn't do something silly. And and that's exactly it. I've heard people say that my sore yoga is practiced really early in the morning because bad things happen late at night. And both you and I were a part of the 5 a.m. club for a while. I know you have a full-time job. And in order to fit your practice in, you had to set your alarm at an unorthodox time. And for me, it's the exact same thing as if I want to be doing this level of practice, Not it's not about the shapes, it's about the attention required. And I know when I'm a little fuzzy, I'm less interested in Surya Namaskara A. I'm less interested in lifting my arms above my head, yawn. 
So for me, that, uh, that practice, that discipline of yoga has been such a remedy for my habitual ways of numbing out. Any recommendation for people that are living in a strong drinking focused culture, how they can navigate if they're interested in drinking less and perhaps not at all? Well, in my experience, um, and this might sound way easier to do than, than uh, it actually is, but when I re- look back and reflect on like my early 20s, when I would have been a bit of a wild child, um, I, when I look at those years, a large part of it was like I didn't really have any uh, sense of the right to belong anywhere. Like it just, if I was separated from something like even if I was around people for too long I felt like I should leave because what if they actually get to know me or think I'm weird or something like I just felt really uneasy and then in the second sort of round of of life where I got into drinking a little bit more I feel like it was that same thing with motherhood where it's like I really didn't feel like I belonged um so for those that are in a community where it's like this is the life I know to me it was really really jarring um, to like not have a frame of reference of who I am in this place. And, and so if there's, if there's somewhere where it just, it feels good to be around community or others, I find dedication and discipline to be really grounding for me. And so the things that, um, the things that, like I, I drink water every day. I sleep every day. I take vitamins. I brush my teeth. I shower. I practice yoga. I have, you know, a meditation practice. I get up very early over time. Those things, you know, accumulated to be what consider what I consider like a strong foundation. And so if there isn't a community that, you know, a community or an activity to belong to, whether it's CrossFit, whether it's like burlesque dancing, whether it's yoga, you know, whether it's, you know, a church or something like that. Um, I would look to the practices that you can do and start to create like a rhythm of your day, your week, your life with that, you know, are, are like nurturing and good for you. I wanted to show up better for my son. I, I wasn't like, I didn't feel like I was very capable of holding peace for many years of my life. Like, peace scared the shit out of me. I think I told you this, but when I first dabbled in yoga, when I was like 18, oh, this poor woman at the gym, she would move us into the resting pose, the Shavasana, and I would just roll up my mat and leave. And I did this for a year, a long time. I'm just like, I ain't got no time for this. Like I'm very busy. I got filing to do or whatever it was that I was going to do, but peace scared the shit out of me. And so over time, somehow, as I've gotten older and I've got to raise a child, um, creating space in my life to have a peaceful environment for him has just accidentally become a huge priority. I think we just run better that way as a household. And so again, to speaking to that, like, you know, the thing about a hangover is I've got to write off like 24, 48 hours. It's not just the two hours, or let's be real, the six hours that that I'm drinking, that it affects, mm. it's, it trickles into like later on too. Yeah. And you speak to this concept of momentum and that I look at you and I see your practices over the past two years. We are a, an emblem of what we've been practicing. And 
this is positive momentum, those decisions to say no to the glass of wine. So you can say yes to your early morning sadhana practice. The, the negative momentum for me when I was drinking, and it, it really was a way for me to not deal with what was knocking on my door, which was you're unhappy and you're literally making yourself pass out at night because otherwise your head, your thoughts would be spinning. And I'm not against, and neither are you, I'm not against the use of alcohol. What I'm against is I do believe it's used as a method to keep us down. It's marketed as sophisticated and sexy, and there's so many songs written about it. And in all honesty, how we feel the next day is nothing compared to those images we see. We are being tricked into believing that this is an outlet for expression, when in reality, it's stifling our magic and our ability to express. You can't even drive like one mile. Um, so I think, you know, the the marketing to like keep to keep us down or to remove choice or to um, build complacency. Mm. I see that for sure. And again, this isn't something to like harangue anybody. And it's not against like, you know, drinking whatsoever or drinking like as a mother, I can only speak from like my direct experience, but, you know, locally in Lethbridge, and I'll speak to like the last two months in particular, there's been people close to me that have, have gone really far in the addiction cycle, like I've lost people. And so I don't know when it changes. I don't, I don't know when it changes. I get to work with the group who um, is brilliant and their master's students and doctors where they study addiction in our community and they know like you know the people that proper research like with clinical papers and everything um the people with the letters after the names it's it's known why people have addiction you know whether it's trauma whether it's like all of those things but they don't know why some people get to climb out of it and so this is where a lot of them are saying the money for studies needs to go. So it can be fun. It can be, you know, a blast. Sometimes like things are just stressful. And like you said, the fun thing about being a hangover is like, I don't have to deal with, you know, things because everything's a little bit funny. But um, at what point is it like, oh man, this, this got away from me a little bit. Yeah. And they call an addiction something that almost works. And, and we don't get to control that razor sharp edge of, oh no, I'm drinking every single day. And, and, and you can be functioning and, and society actually applauds you. Whoa, weren't you drinking till five in the morning and here you are at work the next day? What a legend, man. And, <laughs> and, and I agree, like I am, I am a proponent of anything that, that actually sparks more, more joy for you. And it can so easily tip over into the side where it's not you reaching for the wine so much as the wine reaching for you. The moment I started to realize like I'm halfway through drink one when I'm thinking about drink two, I'm just like, mm. like I'm always in that, that constant state of like yearning and wanting and craving, but I've got everything I had hoped for in that one hand, in that one glass but how is it I've got one hand on it and I want the second one as well. I, I remember meeting this fabulous woman and I sat down next to her at the dinner table at a friend's wedding. And she looked at me and she raised her glass and she said, let's get drunk and become somebody. 
<laughs> and, and I think that kind of, I, I, I do become a different character. And so that's what's kind of fascinating about it. But you nailed it when you said, I, I just don't know which Shauna is going to show up. <laughs> and, and that's where I want control. Who is your biggest inspiration? Drinking inspiration? <laughs> um, you know, when you mentioned that woman, right away, I just thought of like, I'd probably like, I'd have to Google like how to be fun to, you know, be drinking at a party at this point, like almost like how I was Googling, like how to be at a board meeting and be normal, like how to be like a fun, uh, you know, inspirational drunk. I don't know if I necessarily had an inspiration and this doesn't like feed well into any sort of talk of not um, encouraging drinking. But when I was like 19 through 23, um, I worked, I've always loved to work. Like I like the purpose. I like a goal. Like I like a goal. I like to work towards things. So when I was young, I worked at a salon in the day, nine to five. And then I waitressed and bartended three nights a week, no, five nights a week for whatever like another 30 hours. So I'm working these like 70 hour weeks and I'm meeting like friends in the salon and it's beautiful. I show up hungover and they give me pedicures and they do my hair and makeup so I can go man the desk, like what a life. And then I go to my job and it, at the time, like I'm just like smoking at the till, typing in orders, not even washing my hands, me support serving drinks, probably like putting a smoke on the tray in an ashtray while I'm delivering them. But I got to meet really, really amazing people. So not that it was an inspiration, but my early years of like partying in that, generally when we would go out, we'd go to the bar, but somebody we were with had keys to a bar. So for the muggles, the bars are done at two. For us, they're not. We've got like the pick of the bars to go back to and the cleaners come at seven. So we go, we play pool, we karaoke, we leave like a dollar for each drink, eight, like LOL. We've got free reign. So it's not that it was an inspiration, but it was just like, it was a really fun lifestyle until it wasn't. Mm. And for those of you listening, you probably know what a muggle is, but a muggle is someone who doesn't believe in magic. <laughs> I was just thinking how I could like feel my voice light up in that like um, reminisce. But, um, but you know, and and I, I, I truly do think like wherever we're at is, is great. Like I would like an asterisk where it's like, I do have the, caveat to become like an old lady who drinks wine with every dinner with her husband like I don't know where it's gonna go yeah but um, I do know in my direct experience that things became a lot more clear and peaceful and fun for me once that wasn't like a main controlling factor in my life in my 20s like it was driving the bus it was like what I lived for and there's nothing wrong with that so Shauna where could people find you you can find me, uh, I teach yoga in Lethbridge. So I run uh, an organization called Pop-Up Yoga Lethbridge. So you can practice with us. We're on Instagram, the website, Pop-Up Yoga Lethbridge. And um, if you're looking to study 200 hours, we do that down here as well. You can find me down here until I get to go up to the mountains and go visit my teachers. And where are you placing your focus these days? I'm studying a course right now. And I'm not too sure what I'll do with it. Uh, it's an end of life doula. Mm. So it's, uh, it's working through all sorts of things I didn't even know were things. Um, and just the, the writing's percolating 
as I'm uh, understanding this topic a bit better. Uh, I was riding my bike the other day, I know, in winter, and I was thinking about you wanting to be a death doula, and I was thinking I'd wanted to ask you, have you done anything toward it? I'm so happy to hear you have. You are. The program's called Going With Grace, and uh, their Instagram is hilarious and very dark, but also like very real. And uh, yeah, that's that's where the attention's flowing a lot these days. This and lapping up the last few drop-offs of my child. Oh, thank you so much for your time. It was really enlightening. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you for your time, your conversation. Beautiful. Mm. The hard decisions we make now will lead to the easy life and the easy things now will lead to the hard life. What an incredible woman and what a great conversation. My biggest takeaway is using your energy that you would put toward partying and place it somewhere else. Something that will support your life and the vision of who you want to become. Again, this is not black and white. I'm not saying don't and I'm not suggesting anything other than what is in your very best interest. I love you. And as Prince says, we're gathered here today to celebrate this thing called life.